Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. At Keystone Elder Law, our goal is to shield the middle class from the costs and challenges of getting older. And I started this show because the time is coming for so many people when they will need someone else to make decisions for them, pay bills for them, make medical health care uh, decisions for them, and, and a whole range of other decisions. And then along the way, hopefully do it in a way that maintains the dignity and the independence of that person and maybe even preserves as much of that person's hard-earned savings as possible. And that pretty much in a nutshell is what we try to do at Keystone Elder Law, but we're not the only solution for later in life challenges. And so regular listeners of this show are going to know I talk a lot about incapacity. I talk about uh, both legal and financial ways of of preserving what you have, even if you uh, enter into a stage of incapacity in your life. And I bring on guests to talk about their area of expertise where you might be uh, enhancing that shield of protection in the later years of life. Uh, just on what Keystone Elder Law does, if you've never done an estate plan or if you haven't thought about your legal planning, your estate plan in decades, I offer weekly workshops to go over questions that you may want to be asking. And you can go to KeystoneElderLaw.com and use the workshops tab to get registered for an upcoming workshop. The next one on long-term care planning and how you pay for long-term care is on August 16th. But the rest of, of, of August will be spent on estate planning for the middle class, asset protection for the middle class. And also with this show, previous episodes of the show are on your iHeart app on your phone, your Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, or if you want to go online, whp580.com has a menu in the upper left, and you'll find the Later in Life Planning show under the podcast menu. So, of course, you know, listeners of this show know that I talk about predictable and often expensive threats that come their way, and I frequently discuss long-term care. It's important to understand the levels of care, how much they cost, and the way that you can start planning to protect what you have well ahead of needing that level of care. But there's also something else that I want to talk about, which is a fear that I think a lot of people have. When I start talking about this, I talk about, look, it's a reality for so many people. So many people need some higher level of care in the later years of life, or else I wouldn't build the entire mission of Keystone Elder Law around building a shield to protect you uh, in various ways. But people understandably never want to leave their homes. It's where their memories are. It's, it's part of the home is part of the identity. It's part of your independence. Uh, but sometimes the only safe way to care for and support someone is to move to an assisted living facility, a personal care community, or skilled nursing facility. And if you know someone who has concerns going there, part of it might involve, look, are they going to treat me with dignity? Are they going to keep me safe? And, uh, you know, every once in a while, you don't hear the good stories of good care. You hear the, the horror stories of someone who's been neglected or worse uh, in, a, in a higher level of care. So there's something that's required by federal law, and it's called the Ombudsman Program. 
and the Pennsylvania Department of Aging is tasked with administering this program in our state, but there is local organization all over this, all over Pennsylvania. The ombudsman program really exists to deal with this fear that I think a lot of people have as they think about a higher level of care in the later years of life. So joining me today to talk about the ombudsman program is Corey Hurley from the Dauphin County Area Agency on Aging. Corey, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And, Corey, the the Department of Aging sets forth on their website what I think is a wonderful general vision statement for the program. And the vision statement says, advocate for those who can't, support those who can, and ensure all long-term care consumers live with dignity and respect. So I, I think that's great, and I'm I'm sure that that that's lines up exactly with what you spend all day every day doing. But how would you expand on that general vision, um, and if you had to tell people what the ombudsman program is all about? Absolutely, um, like you said, a big part of what we do is advocating for people who can't do so for themselves. Um, we do need consent from the resident whenever possible. Um, they. Tell us what we can do, what we can't do, uh, what documents we can collect, who, whom we can speak with. Um, so we really put the resident back in control of their own lives. That is a big sacrifice residents make. When they move into long-term care, they feel that they've lost control of every decision because th- there are meals that are determined for them. They uh, should not have a bedtime, but often we do hear that there is a certain expectation for going to bed. You know, they... A lot of residents lose control of their day-to-day activities, nonetheless, where they're living. So we want to put the control back into the residents' hands here um, and and empower them to advocate as much as they can for themselves as well. So that's where we like to start. If a resident comes to us with a concern, a complaint, a question, we like to give them the resources first to be able to advocate for themselves or speak up or ask questions to the right people. Often, it's not necessarily us even needing to get involved. We are um, helping them be their own self-advocate because we aren't in these homes 24 hours a day. They're really the only ones, the visitors, the staff. No one is there but the residents 24 hours a day. So we want to make sure that they can speak up as necessary because a lot of these issues can be resolved with better communication. And that's really where we want to uh, empower those residents to take take this back, you know, gain control over their lives again. So, Yeah, I think empower is probably the best word that, that you've used that really goes to the core of it all. And, you know, as you were describing, you know, the loss of control over, you know, what is being served for meals, what time am I going to sleep? I mean, this isn't supposed to be prison. It, <laughs> far from it. This is supposed to be uh, a place where they live their life with the greatest amount of dignity they can while getting care and support that just can't be provided somewhere else. So I'm sure, you know, even as you were describing that, I can I could see in your your language, your body language, the the empathy where often, you know, and I noticed this at Keystone Elder Law, the older you get, you're losing control over a lot of things. I mean, you lose uh, your spouse, you lose friends, um, you, your, your, your legs don't work the way they used to, losing your hair. I mean, your vision, it's, it's one thing after another. And people may just be 
you know, revolting against that that loss of control. And with a little communication and advocacy, you can maybe get over that hurdle. But that's it's a very real phenomenon. Absolutely. And we we focus not only on the basic foundations like quality of life, um, quality of care. These things are defined so individually. Not everyone is going to have that same perspective as to what is important for their quality of life. You know, maybe to some people it's their food. Maybe it's uh, visits with family. Maybe it's the activities. Bingo is, you know, I don't dare interrupt bingo. But there are certain aspects of residents' lives and adjusting to that new environment is a, a major transition from where they were before. So we try to make that as easy as possible for them. Um, obviously, their staff internally is hopefully trying to do the same thing as well. But we come from a third-party outsider perspective and are not worried about the things that the staff are worried about, uh, whether it be budget or, um, you know, being concerned about what management's going to think. You know, we do try to work cooperatively with management because I think that's the best way to um, find a reasonable solution for everybody. But really, we we are just there for the resident. We have um, n- no no skin in the game otherwise. It is just for the resident. And we support whatever they like. Even if it's not something I might personally even agree with, that's my job to make sure that the resident's rights and the resident's wishes are respected. Yeah, we and we were speaking a little bit before, and we'll get into this a bit later, but we were speaking about um, even in, in the guardianship uh, context, and I had someone on recently to, to discuss the role of being a guardian, you know, in, in before somebody's rights are stripped away and you, you have a decision maker appointed by a court, there's the concept of somebody speaking maybe a guardian ad litem, somebody who's saying, look, this is really what's in the person's best interest. But if they have an attorney, the attorney's role is supposed to be one of an advocate where you're saying, even if in your own head, you're thinking what this person wants, what they're, the words coming out of their mouth, I can't personally get comfortable with, but I'm their advocate. I am their voice in this situation that they're, you know, they're, they, they need help. And that's what you're describing. You're the voice. Absolutely. And, and it's not my job to have an opinion. It's not my job right. to, um, to convince somebody in one way or the other. I am there for the resident. I give them their options. I make sure they have support through our organization and it, everything beyond that is up to the resident, what they choose. Yeah. So, We're talking today about being a voice or an advocate to ensure dignity and safety for residents of long-term care. We're going to come back after a moment, a break, and uh, talk a little bit more about this. My guest today is Corey Hurley from the Dauphin County Area Agency on Aging. You're listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. And today we're talking about safety and dignity in long term care settings. And in particular, the role of the ombudsman. And there are ombudsman's offices, there's people you can call all over the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And in fact, this is a, a creation of federal law. So if you're listening, In another state, uh, you can look up the role of the ombudsman where you live. But the role of the ombudsman in being the voice or the advocate for people who are in long-term care settings, maybe to just bring in an outside perspective. Uh, My guest today is Corey Hurley from the Dauphin County 
Area Agency on Aging. And Corey, you know, one thing I think that's pretty fundamental for people to understand when we've set the table with your role as an advocate to be the voice for someone, whether they uh, can or or maybe are having trouble uh, advocating for themselves, let's talk about what their rights are in the first place. You know, I kind of made it, I didn't mean to be flippant, but I said, you know, this isn't prison. Uh, this is, you know, this is maybe a, uh, an environment where there have to be some rules uh, in order for for everybody to be safe and and have uh you know have care provided but they do have lots of rights so maybe talk to me about some of the the, the common things that people should know about that you do have a right if you are a resident in any sort of long-term care setting absolutely so residents obviously have the right to know about their rights they should be informed of that upon entry upon admission there should be information posted throughout the homes Our ombudsman office, that is our highest priority to make sure that residents are fully aware of their rights so that they can, like we talked about before, feel empowered and knowledgeable about their rights and speak up appropriately. Um, Another part of that is that they have access to information about their own health care, about their finances. Um, residents are often surprised when I tell them, you have the right to look at what your care plan says. You have the right to know your medication list. And often they are not necessarily provided these things in a free-flowing manner, but they do have the right to do that. So we encourage them to be well-informed so that they can make decisions. It's not that they have lost that opportunity to make their own health care decisions. It's just that it's become almost automatic that the home is doing these things for the resident rather than involving them. And we really want residents to become more engaged in their own decision-making, their own health care, and at the very least be informed of what is going on so that they can be part of the process. And a big, uh, uh, the most um, important document I focus on a lot is the care plan, in especially in nursing homes. The care plan is really the document that talks about goals, risks, needs, and how is the home and potentially other parties going to intervene to make sure that resident gets those goals met, uh, avoids those risks whenever possible, and, and really works around the challenges that might have sent them to the home and makes the best of their situation. So we really want to focus on using that as a tool for the resident. I have um, joined many care plan meetings and found that residents are not at all on the same on the same page as the staff. The staff aren't aware that this is the resident's priority or their preference because all of those things should be listed in a care plan. And we want to get everyone on the same page. Often it's that just that little issue of communicating better and getting everybody, um, you know, in the same mindset and and maybe saying, well, you know, this is not what we feel is safe for you, but let's work around that. Let's see what we can do to still meet your preferences there. Yeah. And I think an important takeaway there is not only should there be a, a care plan, but there should be uh, care plan meetings. So it's a periodic revisiting of how are we doing with the goals that we set last time what has happened? Has there been a fall in the meantime? Has there been any behavioral issues? In other words, how are we doing on meeting the goals? And it's it's a care team, and you would think that the the resident would be involved with that. But I, you know, whether they understand what's being discussed or or whether they've seen the actual plan is another question. 
Absolutely. And and we find this far too often. Nursing home residents are required to be invited to their quarterly care plan meetings. So they should be having care plan meetings every three months. And I have talked to residents who have been in nursing homes for years and had no idea this process existed. And they very well might have been handed a card saying, here's your care plan meeting, but they didn't understand what that meant or they didn't understand how gravely important that was in their day-to-day life to make sure that those needs are met and those preferences are accommodated for. So that is something we really focus on. We do staff trainings. We do resident trainings. um, We have resident groups within homes where we really focus on making sure they have this information so they can step up for themselves. We are happy to join those meetings But residents and their families are better advocates than we are a lot of times because they know exactly what they want. They know the history behind things where they can say, you know what, this is the way I lived my whole life. Why am I changing things just because I'm moving here? The home is intended to accommodate how the resident has lived their whole life and should do so to the best ability. Yes. So this is really, I think, probably a, a light bulb moment for a lot of people listening to this who have a loved one who's already in a care setting or who has been thinking about their future that might involve long-term care, that there's really all of this thought that goes into individualizing the approach for what their background is, what their goals are. Because when I talk about the rights of someone in a long-term care setting, people might immediately, their minds might go to, well, I have a free, I have, you know, the, the right not to be abused or neglected and, or put into restraints. And of course that's, I mean, let's, uh, that almost goes without saying, but, but yes, you, you do have that right. But, but having a voice in your own, uh, your own care, your care plan is pretty important. And I, I think, I, I think we should probably rush to say that, you know, none of this should be interpreted as either one of us saying that the people who work in nursing homes are are not motivated by the highest level of integrity and care. And of course, so often, you know, these are people who are drawn to a hard line of work and they're doing necessary work and even heroic work. And my hat is off to them. I, you know, I want all the, you know, the best things for systemic improvements so that they're paid a living wage and that they're, because they're doing this care that is going to be more and more necessary over the years. Absolutely. And I I really do hope that our ombudsman program is not considered an adversarial type of approach because we really do want to work with the staff. We, just like you said, we realize they have an incredibly difficult job and they are, they're expected to be professional even under the most stressful of of circumstances. And um, I, I always tell the resident, there is still that expectation that staff be, behave appropriately and are, are patient with you and understanding. And, and for the most part, that is what we see. Oh, sure. Um, absolutely. They, they are hard workers, no doubt. There's always times where you can use a third party and say, you know what, there's a different perspective here. Can we work on this or that? Um, it, it is very rare that I, I need to be too vocal with staff. They realize that we're here to support the resident and they are as well. We're really on the same path. It's just the approach sometimes that we are coming from the resident perspective. So in general, that is the way long-term care should be repositioning. Um, We call it culture change where the resident center approach is really where long-term care should be um, moving toward rather than more of that institutional setting. We're really hoping that 
there is an expectation this is going to be home. This is going to be an individualized care approach. This is going to be a situation where you don't feel like a prisoner. You don't feel like I'm just shoved into some place to hide for the rest of my life. We want you to have a good quality of life. Yeah, and when you were talking about like maybe uh – the resident hasn't been given a copy of the care plan or, you know, the person rushes in, they do what they have to do and they move on to the next person. And that's just part of the pressure that these heroes working in nursing homes or other care settings are, are under. Staffing is is not what it should be because it's hard to hire and retain people ever since COVID. That's been especially the reality. And, and I think having the ombudsman program to reorient people to that culture of let's keep the focus on where we all agree it should be. We're all on the same page that let, let's make life better for these residents. And I've, I just keep getting struck by the overlap with changes underfoot with the, uh, the culture of guardianship, which does not necessarily overlap with what we're talking about, but those who go into a, a guardianship setting, there's, there are changes that, that a lot of advocates are at the table with the legislature right now talking about, we're not we're not just going to strip someone of their rights. We're going to include them as much as possible. We're going to have an advocate for them as well as somebody maybe looking at the history and, and saying, well, this might be what's in their best interest, but an advocate to say what they want. I mean, the overlap of the, this culture change in general is, is, look, we're all on the same page. This is not adversarial. Let's just do what's best for the resident. Absolutely. And and that is something, giving that resident a voice. If they have dementia, if they are under guardianship, if they maybe physically are nonverbal, there is still a way to give that resident a voice as much as we can. That is what we try to do. So my guest today is Corey Hurley from the Dauphin County Area Agency on Aging. And we're talking about maintaining safety and dignity for people in long-term care settings, specifically through the role of the ombudsman, who is a voice and an advocate for the resident, for the, the person receiving this care. And if you want to learn more about the levels of care, how you can plan ahead for all of this, Keystone Elder Law offers weekly workshops. Go to keystoneelderlaw.com and use the, the workshops tab to get registered for the next one that's coming up. We'll be back in a moment for more of the Later in Life Planning show here on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We're back on the Later in Life Planning show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. Today we're talking about safety and dignity for residents of long-term care settings. And my guest is Corey Hurley from the Dauphin County Area Agency on Aging. And Corey, you've done a great job laying out the role of the ombudsman, uh, what this program is all about, advocating for people, and maybe some of the rights uh, that people need to know about. And if they're not advocating for themselves, where the ombudsman is going to help them be aware of their rights, advocate for themselves, or even advocate for that resident. Tell me a little bit more about who, who are the people, like yourself, working in the ombudsman program? Sure. Um, really, it's it, we think about mostly it's someone who has a passion for our seniors or persons with disabilities and wants to hopefully make a difference in their lives. And then from there, we, um, we go through an extensive training. Um, there are online trainings. There are classroom trainings, which have since gone virtual now that uh, COVID has sent us all to Zoom. But um, there are staff ombudsmen, but a huge part of our network are actually volunteer ombudsmen. 
Um, we in Dauphin County are very lucky to have um, three wonderful volunteers who um, two of them are retired nurses and another was also working in the long-term care field prior to retirement. So we have a really great network of individuals who have uh, gone through that very extensive training and then assist us with those advocacy uh, goals as well as doing a uh, at least a quarterly visit at every home that we visit. So part of what we do is outreach. And in order to reach the people who would not necessarily contact contact us first or have a family member that knows we exist or realize they need us, we are doing those outreach visits at random. Uh, We do unannounced visits and make sure that those residents who – don't get out to activities. Don't come to our resident rights bingo games that we host. That they That's a good idea. <laughs> yes, it, 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 <laughs> it goes pretty well. It's, it's different from regular bingo, so we have to tread lightly. But um, it, it really does help to better educate the residents. But, um, so we make these routine visits as well as just random stop-in visits. We uh, go to resident council meetings so we can hear resident feedback and encourage um, self-resolution and encourage residents to speak up and feel empowered. So those visits, we give resident right booklets. We give our contact information so that, you know, someone might not need us now, but then something pops up. I've been getting a lot of... uh, Call bell delays. Well, you know, I remember that person stopped to see me. I'm going to call and see if there's anything they can support us on or give us suggestions on how to work around this issue. So uh, we go through an extensive training. Um, Every ombudsman must be certified through the Pennsylvania Department of Aging Ombudsman Program. And um, there's ongoing learning. To be honest, I learn something new every single day, and I've been doing this for 10 years, I believe. And yet you have that sort of institutional memory of, look, I've I've put eyes on the people in this particular setting, and I, I remember maybe even specific individuals, and I know the history. So, yes, you always keep learning. I do, too, at Keystone Elder Law, but you have some institutional history to bring to the table as well. Absolutely. And there's, there's a sense of... Uh, Residents know we're there to support them. Once they get to know us, and we really do try to have a visible presence in all of our homes, make visits off enough, uh, have staff familiar with us, because we get referrals from staff as well. Sometimes there's a situation where they're saying, you know, we could use your assistance. And ultimately, like I said before, we still need resident consent. But if it gets to a point where there's some kind of conflict or some kind of situation that the resident and the staff are just butting heads on, sometimes we can be a third party and say, well, this is the regulation or this is your right or such and such. We can really you know, be a mediator at times in helping to address those issues. And that's great that the staff trust you enough and your integrity and impartiality to know that you're going to come in and you're going to facilitate communication. And it will be, be- again, keeping the eye on what's best for the resident. But if if there's a sort of, uh, if they're locking hand, heads, then, you know, you're going to be able to free that up and make progress forward. That's in everybody's best interest. Hopefully. And and there's, sometimes there's just such a tiny issue that's really at the crux of it. Okay, this is what we didn't realize what, what was going on. And sometimes residents aren't going to necessarily tell their staff things that they will tell us. And, and perhaps then we can help open those lines of communication so that there is a level of trust and that... You know, we can't disclose anything without the resident's permission. So until they give us the go-ahead, our lips are sealed. 
We are completely confidential. We cannot even go back to family members and tell them what we discussed. Often I'll get complaints from a family member and I say, well, I can only call you back if your loved one is okay with that. So that's something we take very seriously. Um, we are obviously a free service, uh, being that it was Dauphin County Agency on Aging, but every ombudsman program across the state is free, confidential. We are there to serve the residents, no matter what their requests or wishes. And you mentioned maybe one of the issues where you're getting a lot of calls, uh, delays on a call bell response, I guess you said. What are, what, are, what are some of the other issues that come up as maybe some of the more common calls that might come in. Absolutely. Um, call bells are always a concern because like you said before, staff are rushing in and out. They're, yep. you know, they're, they're quite busy, but they're, we can't count that as an excuse. We understand they're absolutely busy. They're overworked. They're underpaid, et cetera, et cetera. But the resident still deserves good quality of care. So we can't let that one just breeze by because of that. Um, call bells, discharge planning, whether it be that the resident wants to go home or maybe they're being involuntarily discharged and we have to help them appeal a discharge. Um, we talk to residents about billing complaints, perhaps, or maybe clarity on certain aspects of their billing. Um, meal complaints, you know, there you can imagine that is one of our biggest um, concerns because it's hard to feed and satisfy hundreds of residents at the same sure. time. Just preparing that much food, but but then on top of it, you don't make it like my wife made it, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll sit in a, a food committee or a resident council meeting, and one person will say, this is too spicy or too salty, and this is too bland. <laughs> you know, you'll have, you'll have two very different opinions about the exact same meal. So there isn't a perfect solution to a lot of the problems that occur, but accommodating individualized needs is possible. So there's ways to get around the challenges that we might think, oh, there's no answer to these call bell issues because staffing is low. There absolutely is. And we've got to at least try. As ombudsman, we do not have enforcement authority. So I can't oblige the home to do anything. They realize they're better off working with me than it is maybe with Department of Health who can cite them. You know, that's not my first goal to send somebody to uh, the regulatory agency or the licensing agency. I want a resident to be able to resolve things internally as much as possible. And And, that's really what we go for. And you anticipated one of my questions is what's what's the incentive for the care setting to cooperate with you? And it's because one, I mean, yes, you're there as now you're a witness if there is something that can be reported to a regulatory agency, but also what goes around comes around. You're going to help them more often than not to resolve uh, complaints and maintain morale and so forth. Absolutely. We are not there to be against the staff in any way. We're just there to definitely be there for the resident. Right. And would you say, you mentioned earlier that, that I, and I just love this, that the staff will sometimes reach out to you but who who most often calls you? Is it the adult child or spouse of the resident? Is it the resident themselves because you've made a presence there? How do you how do these calls come to you? Often it is an adult family member, adult uh, niece, nephew, daughter, son. Um, to be honest, outreach is something that we can always do better at because I hear of people who didn't know we exist. Ombudsman is a hard word to say as it is, (laughs) nonetheless to spell or to look up. And it is really not something people are even aware of. That's why we're doing this show. Absolutely. So we appreciate (laughs) you helping us with our community outreach here because this is something that, um, admittedly, the harder we work at our outreach, the more work we have, but we welcome it. 
we're we're just happy that people know we exist and we're trying to help resolve things or at least give the family members tools as well to address these things. Because I'll get calls from family members who aren't necessarily even looking for our advocacy support. They just want some ideas to work around a problem. Or is this okay? The home is doing such and such. Uh, Is this something they're allowed to do? And we give them guidance on the regulations and the rights. Right. And you're not going to be in a position to say, well, here's the best financial plan. Here's the best, you know, here are your legal rights. You can always make referrals to professionals, but just to be there for the the soup to nuts, like, you know, here's what we're seeing because you've seen a lot and, and you can share your, your feedback. Yes. And, and I do want to clarify, we are not legal or financial experts, so we cannot give advice in those categories. Um, really what we want to focus on is making sure that they have um, the resources or at least the ability to access the information they need. Um, and it is a challenge because I some days I feel like I'm expected to be an expert in the therapy department, in the nursing <laughs> department, how meals should be prepared, you know, the, every aspect of running a home. Yeah, I well, and it sort of goes with, with working with older adults. There's so many different solutions and so many different questions begging those solutions. But this is uh, this is great. This is a conversation today with Corey Hurley of the, the Dauphin County Area Agency on Aging. We're talking about the Ombudsman Program, ensuring dignity and safety for long-term care residents. We'll be back for more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now your host Patrick Colley. We're speaking today on the Later in Life Planning Show with Corey Hurley from the Dauphin County Area Agency on Aging and specifically her involvement with the Ombudsman Program, the advocates for residents of long-term care settings to ensure that their voices are heard, to ensure that they are safe, to ensure that they are that their dignity is being respected. And a lot of this is, you know, we were speaking just before the break about a lot of people weren't even aware that there is an ombudsman program. And it's it's all over the country and it's certainly all over Pennsylvania through our Department of Aging. Um, but but education to get the word out about this is very important. Of course, that's that's why we're doing this show. That's why I do weekly workshops on various aspects of planning ahead, not just for long term care, for a whole range of issues with your estate planning, with long term care planning. And you can go to KeystoneElderLaw.com and use the Workshops tab to to get registered for a free workshop. It's online. Take it in from the comfort of your home. But we have a host of other articles on all kinds of different uh, topics. And and so switching to sort of that subject, Corey, um, education is a huge part of what you do in the Ombudsman Program. And you've talked about going out to care settings, making your presence known, making sure that residents know their rights. What about people who are listening to this show right now? And they may be in Dauphin County, they might be in a surrounding county, they might be in another state, but how would you recommend people go about getting more education from the Ombudsman program now that they know you exist and you're all fired up to do you know, the work you do and that's exactly what we need? How do you edu- go out and educate people and how should they go about finding that education? Um, so one of, one of the biggest things that we do is to... Um, educate residents on a one-on-one basis. Uh, We do so with families as well during our visits, you know, those random facility visits that we offer. But really, we like to also do, whether it be staff trainings, um, staff of long-term care homes are required to 
take an annual resident rights training. And you're welcome to use the local ombudsman on that. Um, often they will just do online trainings or have a staff member uh, lead that type of training. But I, I hope that the way we would do a resident rights training gives a little bit of a different perspective from the resident's view. Um, and that's really where we try to reposition because that's the whole point of resident rights, to put them at the center of this. Um, and that's really why they're there anyway. So let's let's really uh, focus on the resident. And rather than an online program, I, I suspect not having attended one of your talks where, you know, the, the, the staff person probably says, look, I keep running into this situation. Are you telling me there's a, a way to do this? And then you come back with, oh, I've thought about that and I've seen this and have you thought about this? And they and the staff member is now much better off than if they just sat at a computer and took an online course. Absolutely. I, I To be honest, I prefer that feedback back and forth so that we can maybe think of those hypothetical scenarios and work through them because they're going to face it. And if they're asking me a question during a resident staff training, then they care. And I, I really do appreciate that they're even putting the thought into that. Good point. Good point. And so that's, I mean, a lot of the education. And there's other education you do that I love, and it has a name. It's called the Peer Program. And here you're specifically training the residents, again, to empower them, not only empower them to advocate for themselves, but maybe to to uh, advocate or, or encourage their fellow residents to advocate for themselves. But tell me about the PEER program. Yes. So PEER is an acronym for Pennsylvania's Empowered Expert Residents. And I like to say that they're already the experts at being residents more than you and I will ever be until we start to be nursing home residents. So they can give us a perspective as well on really what it's like to be a resident. Our job then is to empower them, give them the tools and the knowledge to use what they know as a resident to improve their home, to enhance things along the way, to, um, like you said, educate their fellow residents and make sure that as a group, that really that's what I love about the peer program. They can work as a group and really enforce make positive changes within their home. It's not that they're there to be complainants all the time or this or that. It's a matter of using that as a positive force within their home. So uh, we do a uh, five-week training course, two hours once a week. So a total of 10 hours of training for residents who um, are able to understand the basics of resident rights. Uh, We tell them about what is acceptable and what is not in long-term care, such as you mentioned before, abuse absolutely unacceptable under any circumstance. Um, We talk about care planning and the tools that you can use to self-advocate as well as resident counsel and using all of these other aspects that are offered within long-term care to their benefit. So, and this must be, I mean, if, if, especially if they feel like they've lost control going into this setting now, I mean, that's the essence of empowering them. So they're learning they're speaking with you. They're speaking with their fellow residents. That's, I mean, you must notice that that has a noticeable uptick in the well-being of somebody who's being empowered like that. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen absolute personality changes because they can finally, you know, session one, they're a quiet church mouse. And then by the, by the end of it or by the time we meet on a monthly basis with these groups ongoing to make sure that we continue that education and help them with projects they want to enhance their home, we see someone really take it into their own and, and benefit themselves as well as their whole community. That's really neat. And 
I, I guess to step away from the peer program for a moment, you're doing system-wide advocacy as well, or other people involved in the ombudsman program. Tell me about that. Absolutely. And and our, to be honest, our peers are a huge factor on that. Right now, sure. we are working on um, increasing the personal needs allowance for long-term care. So in nursing homes, residents, if they're paid for, uh, if their stay is covered by Medicaid, they surrender their whole income toward their stay as a, as a care contribution, all but $45 a month. That's yeah. their personal needs allowance. And I've, I've done previous episodes on how Medicaid works and your income, it's income, everything you have in savings, then they look at gifting. But yes, if you, if you have social security income, maybe a pension, that's your patient pay responsibility. So that goes straight to the nursing home. They let you keep a whopping $45. Now, if you've in the Philadelphia Inquirer did a, an article about this in the last several months where Look, if if you if you get eligible by met for Medicaid by running out of money, and so in the second category, everything you own, you have nothing, and maybe you have Social Security or a pension. Now you lose that, and all you're allowed to keep is forty five dollars a month. That I mean, you get your haircut, and you're most of the way out of money. And so the article did a great job highlighting that this really is outdated. It hasn't been updated in a long time. Of course, if you use an elder law attorney and there's more assets that you can preserve, you're never going to be in this situation where we can make sure that you have other reserves with family members and so forth to support you. But for those who are really getting by on $45 out of their income, right. yeah, that that's... And, and the amount has not gone up since 2007, I believe. So if you think about inflation since 2007, yeah. and, and really our hope is that this allowance gets increased, but also built into it a cost of living adjustment. Because we don't want to have this fight. To be honest, we started this in 2016 to try to get this increased. And then the pandemic hit and everything went to the back burner. So we're back on it now that things have calmed with COVID. But really, this is something that I don't think people are quite aware that Medicaid does not cover if someone needs a new pair of shoes. Right. You need clothes. You need shoes. You stamps. Um, if you want to send your grandchild a, a birthday card, not even with money in it, that is going to cost you money you do not have. It's a dollar fifty a day. If right. you have a vending machine at your home, you cannot afford a soda a day. Yeah. So it, it is something that we are really pushing hard so that residents can at least eat improve their quality of life by just the the tiniest little bit. They say money doesn't buy happiness, but you know what buys you a snack. It, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's the littlest thing that can make a huge difference in a resident's life. And, and a lack of money can sure make you miserable in the meantime and ensure all of your care is paid for. But and I love what you said about don't just increase it from the 2007 amount, but set it to inflation because the legislative process is meant to be difficult. Nobody wants to keep revisiting this and have the same fight. Just have it automatically update. And this is not making people wealthy. This is basic needs. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and this is, you know, this is a topic that that I've talked about uh, from time to time. I'm, I, I worked in the state legislature. I've seen how they work and I'm on legislative panels where uh, we're working on issues like that personal needs allowance. We're working on guardianship changes. And, and I, you know, I love that the focus throughout this talk, Corey, has been about Let's keep this person centered, and that's a, a term that gets bandied about, but let's let's look. We're talking about in dignity, independence. We're talking about our neighbors, our family members. We're talking about real human beings, not, not figures. Uh, so I think it's worth having the conversation. Corey Hurley from the Dauphin County 
Area Agency on Aging, thank you so much for sharing your passion, your insights, making people aware of what the Ombudsman program is. Thank you for having me. This is a a joy to be able to give some extra outreach. Yeah, well, I agree. And so we're going to have another show, of course, next week, same time, same place. If you ever have any topics that you maybe have questions for a guest, you can reach out to us, info at keystoneelderlaw.com. If there are topics you'd like us to cover, reach out to us at Keystone Elder Law and let us know. And we'll be sure to bring in somebody or or I can speak about uh, the topic and make sure that your questions are answered. So until the next time, thank you for listening. This has been the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580.